Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. What the hell's going on out here? I'm your host, Todd Burrows, and we are brought to you once again by Fanball. Fanball, more states, more options, and more fun. The new home of MFL 10s. Come on, there's a lot of options. Come join us. Uh, I'm over 100 drafts in right now, and uh, I know that my uh, buddy and my guest today is knee-deep in it as well. Mike Beers is with us. Uh, earlier in the season, we did a podcast on basic lineup construction. At the time, I promised that we would have Mike back and get a little deeper into it with more of an advanced roster construction, how to mix up your exposures within your portfolio. And Mike is the returning champion this week. Mike, how you doing? Hey, Todd. I'm doing well. Um, it's always a good time coming to talk on um on your podcast, and uh, I'm excited to dig in here uh, on the uh, the quote unquote advanced stuff, which is exciting. It's um, you know, um, I think we're going to go a little deeper than most people do, so that's good. Yeah, well, I I think it was important with the move over to Fanball that we covered the basics of roster construction. Even though you've done that a lot on different podcasts over the last couple years, uh, but really, the it's it's. You know, when you look at two or three court, you know, we talked about it last time. You want to stay on the highway, and what what that means is you want to stay within the lanes of what are the most op- optimal constructions, which are two to three quarterbacks, uh, five to six running backs, really, um, seven or eight wide receivers, two to three tight ends, and two to three defenses. But how you put that together is what we're going to go into today, correct? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, those are really kind of wide ranges when you think about it. I mean, it's just one or two or three players. But, um, you know, given that we're only drafting 20, you know, the, there's a lot unanswered just saying we need to stay in those ranges. You know, the, the bigger question is when should you be on one end of the range versus the other and uh, that's the stuff that uh, we're going to try to figure out here. Yep. And I think it also ties into your individual style as a drafter. It, you know, in other words, 
one of the uh, Chris He's uh, uh, the what he is one of the more successful guys, and he's just really firm. You know, two five seven three three. That's where that's his comfort zone. He's going to be there ninety five percent of the time. Um, but he also takes running back his four or five. You know, four or five of his five running backs within the first ten rounds. So. You know, if you decided, well, I'm just going to copy what he does and go two five seven three three. If if you're not taking early running backs, you're really not copying what he's doing, and you could have very different results. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, and it really changes uh, based on where you're selecting each of those players. Um, you know, whether you're you're um, going overweight on running backs early versus wide receivers, your tight ends, et cetera. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I changed my uh, construction up quite a bit uh, across, you know, the different options uh, within those ranges. Yeah, I've done um, – this is from a few days ago. I've got a few more finished drafts. But out of um, something like 65 drafts, um, there was one construction uh, specific build that I used 11 times, but that was the most. Um, so, you know, that's less than one in five. Um, I'm doing something different in uh, most of my drafts. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, you know, you pulled that the, those numbers for me, which I appreciate. If you're not uh, a member of Mike's Best Ball Command Center, I, I really don't know what to tell you because besides having an awesome Slack chat with a, a lot of the really great people in the Best Ball community who are in there every day giving their thoughts and their advice. Um, Mike Mike has all his tools, all his research available to you uh, through the Best Ball Command Center. And Mike, what what's the price if someone wanted to join at this point? So right now the price is forty nine ninety nine. Um, that gets you the whole draft season, so all the way up through kickoff. Um, and uh, we're also we'll leave the chat open during the year and get you access to the tools. And uh, right now we still have a few left where offering a free MFL 10 entry for, um, for subscribers. I think we uh, have maybe a handful of those left uh, on our promotion. So if you sign up now, you'll also get that um, along with your, uh, your months of access there. Yep. And you don't just cover, uh, we won't get into the names of the other sites on uh, our fan ball pod, but uh, Mike, Mike covers a, a lot of the main um, sites and their best ball as well. So, um, you know, so we begged the, uh, the question, what is advanced roster construction? Uh, last year for me, the 26732 was by far my most successful. It was uh, a win rate of 26%, and, not, and it was my most used as well. Um, I'm about half, oh, a little under half, like 45% right now, I think, um, with that construction this year. But within any individual draft, I'm not dogmatic about doing that construction because a lot of the reason I think I was so successful last year is I had locked in on Rex Burkhead in the 15th to 18th round as the sixth running back. And, you know, so strategies are grand, but it's the players that help you execute them. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, you know, if you you have to kind of balance uh, what you're good at, um, you know, with uh, where you're taking the risks. And, 
you know, if you think you're especially good at identifying those late running backs, that um, that can impact the way that uh, you know, the way that you approach the draft. You know, you can plan to be taking one in those later rounds, and maybe uh, you know, if you're very confident in your ability to do that, maybe you don't have to um, err on the higher side of the running back range, even though you're taking that player later. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, it worked out for you, and you cited uh, you know Burkhead as uh, as a driver. Uh, but you know, in general, I mean, that's that's definitely you're right in the middle of kind of or or um, all the ranges that we've talked about for each of the positions there. Um, and you know, overall over the past few years, that two six seven three two does have an above average win rate. Um, so you know, you were putting yourself in, in a good position there to um, to let your picks win the, the the leagues for you. You know, you weren't you weren't putting yourself behind the eight ball. You know, fighting against. Um, the current there in terms of by by using some bad uh, or inefficient roster construction. So that was really yep, the and I, thing, I think. Yeah, I think that's an outstanding point. That and and all the more you know in reviewing my winning lineups. Once I got outside of two six seven three two and two five seven three three. I don't think I had a win rate over 15%, and I had some that were in single digits, um, even down as low as 5 6%. So, you know, you go outside of the optimal few at your own risk, and I've been a lot more disciplined this year in making sure that most of my drafts are within, you know, two or three main um, of those top uh, constructions. And... It leads to another point. You know, we talked about Burkhead and late running back. I, 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 you know, especially I've heard a lot from a lot of the really good best ball guys this year that because of the switch over to fan ball and the fact that uh, ADP is now right there when you draft, even though it's not 100% accurate, it's a lot more accurate than um, what we had last year with MFL. And so to me, all the more... You know, I've heard a lot of these guys say there's just not the values late that I'm I'm used to over the last couple of years. So for me, all the more this year, if there's a one, two, three guys that I really like that are going to be there late, I you know I I kind of you know once you get through the top ten, twelve rounds, then you're kind of crafting the rest of that team, and it's a it's really important to me to keep in mind, you know, who's going to be there late most likely so that, A, I'm in the right construction, and, B, I'm getting someone that I like to draft late. Are you doing the same thing? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, as as the drafts, um, as I progress through a draft, I'm thinking about who I'm going to target later, you know, who's likely to be available, and um, definitely planning, you know, to take certain guys. But, um, you know, a big thing that helps you with that, um, just bringing it back to roster construction, is um, you know knowing whether or not you're going to need um, a player at a particular position, or whether you know it makes sense. Um, you, uh, like tight ends, for example, uh, one of the the good things about you know taking a couple of tight ends earlier, um, which is not something I always do, but sometimes I will, is it frees up a pick for you later, um, and you know. It, when you think about advanced um, roster construction, you know, kind of like, what, what does that mean? It's really, um, it's changing 
what is sort of ideal or optimal based on, on what's happened so far. And, and a really good way to illustrate it is with the tight ends. Um, you know, if you look over the past few years, um, two tight end versus three tight end, that's usually the decision people are making. That's the range we've given in the past podcast. Um, the win rate uh, is almost the same. You know, it's 8.5% versus 8.2% for two versus three. But um, if you – and we, we have this new tool in Best Ball Command Center called the um, Roster Construction Explorer uh, where you can look at specific um, kind of builds or, or, or slice and dice things a little more granularly. If you look at teams that drafted two tight ends before the ninth round, suddenly two tight ends is the looks like the dominant strategy versus three because um, those teams have spent that capital um, – Early in the draft, um, you know, it goes to 9.4% for two tight ends versus 8% over a 1% spread for, for three tight ends. And, you know, knowing that, knowing that if you use those two picks early, you freed up a spot to, you know, to target your guy that you really like late in the draft uh, because you're not going to need a third tight end. Uh, you know, it's keeping all those things in mind and um, lets you, you know, formulate your game plan uh, and, and adapt it and change it based on who you've drafted so far. Yeah, that's a wonderful point. And it also allows you to mix up, you know, and we'll talk more about this later, but the types of drafts that you do, I think it's real easy to get into a rut of, well, I take four, four running backs in the first eight rounds and I take – you know, a quarterback, you know, this year there's great values for me in the seventh and eighth uh, round. So, you know, I'm taking a lot of Brady and Newton. And if Wilson, if he drops, I've seen him in the seventh round a couple times recently, and I'll snag a share or two. Um, It's real easy to, and then I always make sure I get one tight end in that first group. And then you're right. You know, I'm taking my second and third tight end in that 13th to 15th range Uh, 12th to 15th range, Uh, and I do that because there's guys there that I like. Uh, Jared Cooks has been there. He's he's one of my most owned guys. Austin Safarian Jenkins, Ricky Seals Jones. You know, so if I you know I need a third tight end because I don't have two good ones. So uh, it it accomplishes two things. One, you know, I'm not going to take two tight ends early just to do it. But sometimes, you know, like if, if I'm in the, the you know, third round and Gronk or Kels is there and there's no one else I really love, you know, once those couple good running backs are gone in the early third, I'll take Gronk or Kels even though I don't love taking tight end early. And then if I'm sitting there in the seventh or eighth round and Rudolph is half a round later than he should be or Jimmy Graham, I'll take him and then you're right. So not only do I have a two roster construction tight end too early, but I can make up for the value that I didn't spend on running back and wide receiver by taking two of them late versus two tight ends. Did did that make sense or did I ramble? Uh, No, I mean, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, that's really, um, you know, if I use one of the, that that early pick on Gronk or Kelsey or, or Ertz, I'm I, almost zero percent of the time will I have three tight ends because I see it as um, that that being part of the value of those picks. Not only are they some of the best at their own position, but they're that pick bundled in that pick along with the player is 
the additional 13th round pick that I'm getting by not having to have three tight ends. Um, yep. And I think, I think if you are drafting three tight ends, when you take one of those guys, you are, you're leaving something on the table. I mean, you, you were, you, you spent for an advantage that you're not going to actually use if you, um, if you continue to go with three tight ends. Unless again, there's just a tight end is your best value on the board in the 15th round, right? If Jared Cook, who's normally gone in the 13th is there in the 15th round, I'm going to take him even though I want to go two tight ends because he might be better than any wide receiver that I'd be looking at taking in that individual draft. So I, I think that what we're saying here is basic roster construction is staying within the lines. It's drawing within the lines. Um, advanced roster construction is making a picture out of what's within the lines based on what an individual draft is giving you and with keeping in mind that you're blending it also into your portfolio and it's nice to have different draft draft types in case the year doesn't go the way that we think it will. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. And I think, um, you know, blending your, your mix of, you know, different player allocations or, or roster constructions across your portfolio implies if you, if you're doing it in a smart way, they are also drafting different different players, um, you know, because you you will be um, you know you're being smart about balancing when you're going to use three versus two at one position or five versus six at running back or whatever. And it's when you have different players or different types of players from a different part of the draft, and you uh, you wind up with a diverse por- portfolio of players, but all sort of allocated in the right structure. Um, so it's not. It's not as if you, um, you know, you're just you're you're not taking any risk um, and diversifying everything away. You're doing it in a targeted way, um, using using different players um, and different values in the best construction possible in each draft, um, and that really gives you the best chance to win. Yep, and that is, you know, in a nutshell, folks, what advanced roster construction is. There's a few different tools that you can use, and Mike and I are going to review them, but ultimately. Uh, you take what is available to you and you mold your team within the basic construction. So, um, what, you know, one that I've been using a couple times, well, let, let me go back a step. You know, to me, when I think about this year, what is the one defining thing about MFL 10s this year? Like if you had to say what's the number one trend about MFLs this year, it's that the running backs are going off the board earlier than ever. And it is, it, it's a challenge on one hand, and it's also an opportunity on another. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, whenever uh, it looks like you know, the market or the crowd is, is overreacting to something, there that means there's value on the table somewhere else, right? Um, and in this case, it would be, Running backs and tight. I'm sorry, uh, wide receivers and tight ends. Everybody's buying running backs. You know, a, a few years ago, um, for 2016, it was everyone wanted wide receivers um, because zero RB had worked so well in 15. Um, and then the opportunity was in running backs. Um, and you can definitely take advantage of that. But you also, I mean, you have to be smart about how you do it. Um, you know, it's not good enough to just draft, you know, five wide receivers in a row and then not, and you know, and then then 
do everything else exactly as you would have otherwise. Um, you kind of have to adapt your construction and your strategy, um, you know, for that start, for that approach. Yeah, and I've been – I'm glad you brought up zero RB because I've been doing <clears> – <throat> I'd say over the last 10 or 15 drafts, maybe 20% of my drafts, maybe 30%, if not – Pure zero RB, you know, is is some version of a lot of running backs early, and I just decided that I was taking running backs I didn't like too often, you know, Fournette, Gordon, um, Hunt. Not that I don't like them, but I don't like them at their draft position versus, say, a Julio, a Beckham, a Hopkins, and a Keenan Allen. And so I, you know, I just have been. To diversify, I've been mixing up by avoiding a Kenyon Drake in the third round and going with a, a Diggs or a Fitz. And all of a sudden, you look up in the fourth, fifth round, and you don't have any running backs, and you got a zero RB team. I didn't go into the draft saying, I'm going zero RB, but it typically happens for me when I get the you know the sixth to the tenth pick, let's say. Um, because I'm just not finding the value at running backs that I want, not only in the first round, but in the second and third round when I start with one of those draft positions. Yeah, um, that, that happens to me quite a bit too. And I think um, I, I never go into a draft with with a plan of how I'm going to build the team. Um, you know, it's – just, uh, I mean, basically every player's on the table and, um, you know, whoever's available, uh, when my pick comes around, um, you know, I, I'm going to take the best value in the first few rounds and then um, I'm going to, you know, use these roster construction prints to adapt to what I got. So, you know, the, if the best values were four wide receivers in the first five rounds, that's fine because I know that, um, you know, teams uh, who have their fourth wide receiver before the sixth round – um, do much better if they have six running backs instead of five by the end of the draft. They even do better with seven running backs than five, but um, six has been better. And, you know, so I know that I'm going to budget for six running backs. I'm not going to stop early. I'm not going to just try to, you know, just skate by and make some really good picks. I'm, I'm going to try to make good picks within the, you know, construct that, that makes sense. And you can do that whether you, you're – talking about wide receiver heavy at the beginning or running back heavy or, or do you use an extra pick at tight end or, or quarterback? Uh, you know, you, you just adapt draft to draft based on you know, what people are giving you. Yep. And you are the uh, founder and uh, uh, architect of the hyper-fragile running back draft, which kind of came out of the zero RB frenzy of a couple years ago. And I'm wondering, based on the running backs being overvalued this year, how much hyper-fragile have you done and in what part of the draft were you doing it? I mean, the draft season. It, right. Um, so I, I shared this with our subscribers recently. I thought I might freak them out a little bit. I have zero hyper-fragile teams so far. Um, I think I've started a couple of drafts out thinking I would do it, um, you know, and it's, it's been from an early pick. So, you know, if I have one of Gurley, um, David Johnson or Bell, and then get a couple of running backs around the two, three turn, you know, I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be a hyper fragile draft. And then, um, but you know, one of those, I remember specifically, like, you know, Marshawn Lynch was just 
sitting there in the ninth round. And so I took him, you know, he just seemed like a great value there. And, you know, now I don't have a hyper fragile, you know, build anymore. And that, and that was fine with me. Um, and, and this year uh, it's harder uh, to build one of these teams than it was last year and certainly than two years ago, um, because I really like to have three of the top 15 running backs off the board. Um, and that's almost impossible to do from a late draft position. And um, it's not even, it's not always easy to do from an early draft position. Um, so I, you know, I really am, it, it's now just sort of a tool in my box. Um, you know, when, when I'm able to get those three running backs that I really like that are very strong, then I'll, I'll go with that three running back team. But um, it just, it's been more and more rare uh, with this, the RB heavy approach. And uh, I'm just haven't found it to be, you know, the, the strategy that made the most sense in my draft so far. Yeah. And I think the effect of the NFL draft was to compress the running backs even more. Um, at the time you talk about Marshawn in the ninth. And I remember one time I was going to do a hyper fragile and I got to the ninth or 10th and I, it was either Lynch or Crowell. And I, I tweeted recently that I miss 10th round Crowell because that was such an easy pick for me. Now he's eighth mm-hmm. round Crowell. And, and at that point, you know, you have to start wondering and worrying about all the running backs on the Jets roster and just how effective that team is going to be, you know, for a two down back. So um, I, I found that the NFL draft and the clarity that it brought to you know, a lot of the running back situations in the league has compressed the running back values even more. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I mean, there were, there were guys who were lower um, before the draft because basically uncertainty always makes players cheaper. Um, You know, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Now, few guys landed in places we like and they got pushed up the board. Um, And we know where the rookies are. Exactly. Um, you know, and of course some guys fell, um, as a result, you know, Nick Chubb and Carlos Hyde are cheaper than they were, but they're, but it's for good reason. They're still um, not values though. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, you can get not, lucky, but you know, if, yeah, if, if you you're being ball, honest, they're not values. Right. Um, you know, the, you could, you know, one of them is in retrospect, probably going to have been a value. But right. right now, I you know, I, I don't know enough to call either one of them a value. And, you know, um, and there are more situations like that, I think, um, maybe not more, but there's, there, there are more situations with certainty or, or more certainty after the draft, which has made the running backs, you know, in those situations more expensive. And, um, you know, it's a little more difficult to, you know, really get – you know, several really great guys in solid roles. Yeah, and even a couple of the guys that I really was taking uh, three, four weeks ago in a lot of drafts, like uh, Naheem Hines, you know, he's run up the board recently. I never see him in the 13th or 14th or 15th round like I was a month ago. Um, right. You know, it's uh, it, you know, it's really tough with running back, and, and, you know, again, you know, going back to hyperfragile to finish that up, early in the season I, was do, I did a couple hyperfragiles because, you know, as you said, you get one of the top four running backs and then you would come back and McCoy was near the end of the second round and Mixon was 
in the early third round, and you could you could get three running backs that you felt really pretty good about, and go you know at least think as the draft was going along that you were going to do hyper fragile. Um, and again, I, I'm like you, I'm not dogmatic. If the best guy on the board is the fourth running back, there goes the hyper fragile. I had one four running back team last year, and it won. And it was because it was it was one of those drafts where I said, "Oh, I'm going to do hyper fragile," and then the fourth guy was just sitting there, and I said, "Oh well, it's not hyper fragile, but let's see how it does," and it won. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, early in the season, I was doing hyper fragile a little bit, but then McCoy, uh, to me, you know, he's not as solid of a pick as he was uh, two months ago. When when you look at everything that's gone wrong with that roster. And Mixon is now, you know, going in the second round or right on the turn of the third. You're not getting him at three, four, three, five anymore, and so it, it, it you know, it's very hard to do it. But um, I, you made a point earlier about six or seven running backs. I think there's, you know, four or five, six guys at the end of drafts in that fifteenth to twentieth round, and. Every expert I talk to has a, seems to have a different group of guys that they consider um, guys that they like there. For me, it's been a lot of Darren Sproles and Frank Gore, um, where you can, you know, if you don't love your running backs, you could go six or seven, but you know that you've got really good wide receivers, tight ends, and quarterbacks to be able to do it. Right. Right. Um, yeah, because, you know, if you are going to have six or seven, you're, you are – I mean, that's a roster spot that isn't going to another position. So you have to be stronger there. Um, and, you know, it's that idea of, of maintaining that balance. Um, you know, if you, if you are investing heavily early in the draft, um, you're making room uh, – you know, at one position, you're making room at other positions, um, or you need to be. Uh, it's not – because you're going to have to make up for not getting them or using those premium picks on them. Yep. And one that's been, it's really tough and there is no quote theory on it. In fact, it's an anti theory because of late round QB is the theory you draft two and you draft them later. Uh, But this year to me, the best values on the whole board of the draft are Cam Newton and Tom Brady, who you can regularly get in the eighth round Brady now and in the ninth round, Newton, we haven't seen that push-up of quarterbacks starting to go earlier. Um, I know we're not into camps yet, and a lot of the you know real um, rookie NFL drafters aren't really in the pool yet. But a couple times I've found myself taking two really good quarterbacks early just simply because they were just screaming values. Like if I took a Brady in the, in the late seventh and Newton showed up in the ninth, I would take him uh, because uh, we've talked about this. I value 30 point weeks with quarterbacks. I think, you know, because quarterback scoring is so flat, if you get those guys who give you those big weeks, they're really points of differentiation and I haven't hated my team because really all I'm doing is taking my second quarterback a round or you know two to three rounds earlier than before. Have you? Do you agree that those are great values and in general the QB position in that you know six you know Rogers falls to the mid fifth and you know Newton sometimes to the ninth. I've been getting Breeze who I don't love, but Breeze in the mid ninth round a few times. I'll take him as a second quarterback in the ninth round any day. 
Um, have you had any drafts like that? Yeah, I've had a couple, um, and it, yeah, it goes exactly as you just described. You know, um, maybe Brady falls to the eighth, and then it's the tenth, and Breeze is there. You know, um, it's not something I really like to do very much, though, because I think about quarterback a lot. Like I think about tight end. Um, so I might, you know, I might get that Brady share uh, or or Cam. I, I I love Cam this year. I think his price is just. Uh, perfect um and by perfect i mean you know he's very undervalued um but i won't usually unless there really aren't other options i'm going to try to wait a little longer on quarterback um if i get one of those guys as opposed to putting two of them together because you know i it's it is great to have um you know two really strong players you can put up those 30 point weeks um but yeah, at the end of the day, you could still only start one quarterback per week. Uh, so I try to take advantage of the fact that I got a good one at a good price and um, and and get a little stronger at the other positions. Um, but I don't, you know, I I think you are finding a lot of really good opportunities to pair guys like that together. I mean, if you they have uh, you know relatively wide ranges of uh, ADP, and you if you happen to get two of them at the back end of their ranges, um, you can then you can be really strong there. And, you know you absolutely don't have to take a third one, um, and you know it's a, it's a, a solid strategy, especially if you know the first guy you're getting is like in the eighth round. Um, and it's funny the a lot of the top quarterbacks, like the top five, have gotten cheaper over the past couple of months. Um, I know. Three months. Um, and, you know, my expectation is always, and, uh, you know, I've been telling our subscribers, they're going to get more expensive. And I still think they are. You know, I think we get toward the back half of July, and certainly in August, these guys are going to be a lot more expensive. But um, I think it's a little unusual um, what's happened so far, that they've actually gotten cheaper from the start of the season. And um, Yeah, well, yeah, I'm, it ties – it ties into the running backs getting more expensive, right? If, you know, it's like uh, for every reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And, you know, with running backs going, you know, one, two, three rounds earlier than they did um, because of the frenzy quarterback, because everyone thinks, oh, I can get quarterback later. I mean, to me, that's why the, the QBs are slipping. Yeah, no, um, it, that makes sense. Uh, I do expect it to turn around, though. I think, um, I don't know, it happens every year. I'm just waiting for it. And, it. and it means I've just been buying more and more of these guys. You know, I continue to draft Cam, continue, continue to draft Brady, um, because I don't expect to be drafting them in, you know, late July and August. Um, I expect them to be more expensive. And, and if I'm wrong about that, you know what, fine. I'll just, you know, I'll have gotten a lot of shares at what's, what I think is a good price anyway. Um, yeah. I don't expect them if, to get if much they're good, if they're good here. value in the if they're good value in the eighth now, they're probably going to be a good value in the eighth later, and uh, yep. sometimes you know, and again that that whole concept of with and this is advanced roster construction. If everyone if the running backs are going too early, if you can you know mix into your portfolio, you know some drafts you're going to have to go along with it, but other drafts. You know, if if you've got, you know, if you're loaded at quarterback, wide receiver, and tight end, and then you somehow cobble together good enough running backs so you get even luckier and there's some injuries and your guys who, you know, like if you have a Tevin Coleman and Freeman goes down, you know, you're only trying to win, you know, more than 10% of your contest. So, 
um, you know, if if you have, you know, 15 Tevin Coleman shares and Freeman goes down and he was your first or second running back, uh, you know, starting in the fifth, sixth round, you started taking some running backs, you know, you, you're going to be able to push up that 10% to 15 without a lot of struggle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there are a lot of guys who are kind of in positions like that. Um, though I don't like to – they're not my favorite guys to pick, um, particularly Tevin. You know, he's a little more expensive. We, the the upside guys like that, you know, I I start shooting for them in the back half of the draft or uh, you know maybe eighth ninth round something like that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't have to have those early running backs in order to win. You just have to be smart about um, how you build your roster. You know, you can avoid them. You can take wide receivers. You can take tight ends. And then you have to you just find the upside um, that other people are going to be passing over when they're finally drafting their wide receivers. I mean, there's um, you just have to think about what's going to be available and uh, you know when you need to pull the trigger on different players. Yeah, I, I've got 17% Brady and 21% Newton, which is about as high as I get on quarterbacks. I, you know, we've talked about win rates, you and I, in the past, and how QBs don't get above 15. So, you know, that's a, you know, that's about as high as I get on quarterbacks. Um, but I do think mixing in two, you know, again, you're right. The downside, the difference between two QBs early and two tight ends early is you re- you don't pick up that extra spot, right? So you really got to count, you know, if you take two good quarterbacks, they're going to re- you're going to need them to really differentiate you from the other co- people taking uh also taking two quarterbacks. Um where at, at tight end, if you take two, you get a, you know kind of a free pick so to speak later to try and hit a a winner at tight end and wide receiver. Mhm. So um, that covers, um, you know, pretty much some of the different ways that I've been mixing up uh, my overall portfolio. I got plenty of drafts where I've got four or five, six running backs. Uh, I mean, four or five running backs, you know, within the first 10 or 11 rounds. Uh, But I do like to mix up my portfolio in case, you know, it's another running back uh, apocalypse year. And, you know, I, I've got uh, some leverage if that happens. Uh, Mike, what are some other ways that you like to mix up your portfolio and anything else you might consider, because you are the numbers guy, um, what would you also consider advanced roster construction that we haven't covered yet? Um, yeah, I think the you know, the big thing is is what we did cover, which was um, you know, balancing the roster based on, you know, how invested you are early in the draft in different positions. But then I think another thing to keep track of, um or that comes into play is, you know, the types of players that you are drafting. Um, you know, with uh on a podcast for Best Ball Command Center uh just last week, we were talking about tiers uh for running backs and you know, I broke, I was thinking about them in two different ways. One being, uh, you know, just value, you know, where I think there's a drop in value um, sort of in our rankings at, at certain places. But then also, you know, types of guys and the function they serve uh, in my roster. So, you know, for example, one tier or, or um, you know, a group of guys that I consider a similar tier is um, Chris Thompson, 
you know, Duke Johnson, uh, Rex Burkhead. Tarek Cohen. And, and Tarek, yep, Tarek Cohen. Uh, you know, these are guys who I expect to score some points for me every week. Um, you know, because they're involved in the passing game, I, I think they have upside for, uh, you know, spike weeks here and there if they get the right uh, game script. Um, and they, I especially like to have those guys when – I've waited on running back a bit. Um, you know, maybe it, maybe it is one of those drafts where um, uh, where I, I took four wide receivers in the first five picks or something like that. Or you know, um, I get one of those guys to give me that floor, and um, you know, then I can take some shots on guys like uh, you, you, you. I mix them in with a guy like Aaron Jones, maybe or. Um, or your Nick Chubb, who might not, uh, you know, really take off until the second half of the year um, and could have a lot of weeks where he's not providing a lot. Um, you know, I have a similar tier, like, um, to those guys uh, a little later in the draft, which is uh, Ty Montgomery, um, Theo Riddick, and Gio Bernard. Again, these are guys that I, I feel like will will just be there for me to, you know, fill in some weeks if, um, if I want to – you know, if I'm going with a roster with more running backs, like one of six running backs, and um, those are good guys to have in there, um, along with your higher upside shots uh, that you're taking. And um, I think that's another consideration. It's knowing where those guys are, um, you know, when you have to, to get them to, uh, to serve that role in your roster to fill in those holes. Yeah, that, that, and that's a really interesting, you know, we could do a whole – episode on types and I know that you have on best ball command center on the types of running backs and how to float them into uh, advanced roster construction. Uh, You know, for me, when I'm going zero RB, I've I've been finding myself taking a lot of Dion Lewis in the, in the fifth round. I feel like Mm -hmm. he's a guy. And the reason I like Dion is because I think not only is he the third down back, but he's going to be mixed in on first and second down as well. And then if Henry gets hurt, he's the clear guy, right? He's, he's going to get into a role where he, he gets, you know, uh, way more volume than a fifth-round draft pick. So I really like Deion Lewis's floor in the fifth round more than, you know, say some of the rookies like, uh, you know, Freeman or um, on Johnson, who, again, are now – Ronald Jones, you know, Ronald Jones is one of the rawest running backs coming out. I mean, you know, he could be amazing, but, you know, he could also just not be ready. And Peyton Barber is is, is splitting the work with him on first and second down. And Charles Sims is in on third down. So um, I find myself with Deion Lewis a lot. I find myself with Coleman. I only have 10% of Coleman, but he's a guy that I don't think, you know, I don't love, you know, you're not going to get guys you love, right? All these running backs, once you get into the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth round, they all have questions, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's a matter of, you know, where can you find a slight advantage? And Dion Lewis for me is a guy I feel a a lot, um, a lot better about fits into the way I like to draft. What are your thoughts on Dion? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you. I think he um, he's a good guy for that, uh, you know, uh, zero RB type build because he's going to have that weekly four, like I was just talking about those, those other guys. 
Um, with the upside, you need to um, you're going to need somebody to, you know, really spike beyond their ADP. Um, and he's one of the guys who can do it. Uh, you know, there's an avenue for it. Um, there's not, uh, there's not two guys who have to get hurt or, uh, you know, or, um, you know, something like that. So I think he's a good one. He's got the weekly floor and the upside. And I think um, you, you can, so he has both. And I think both, you know, and that, and that makes him really good for that setup. And then, you know, so you can target guys who have both, but they're kind of rare outside the first five rounds. Or you can get a combination of them by doing, you know, by um, combining those guys that I was mentioning earlier with other guys who might be more touchdown dependent, um, you know, kind of situations. So, yeah, I, um, I agree with you. I think he's a great guy to target if you, um, if you have only one or even zero running backs through the first five rounds. Four yep. rounds. And then and then another guy that is uh, real popular on the best ball command center chat and among a lot of the smart people is Lamar Miller. Um, looks like he is going to be locked in for a role. Um, you know, you and I have kicked around my whole stack cuffing theory, and as much as I defend it, it's not, you know, I mean, I, I'd be shocked if I ended up with 10% of my drafts having a, a running back stack cuff in any year. But this year it's even, you know, it's even harder because, you know, the, the, the key thing that makes stack cuffing uh, worthwhile to me is getting a value on both ends of the stack, right? And with there's right. being almost no running back values, it makes it really hard to invest in two guys on the same team. You know, then you're in the situation where you don't have the floor that you need for a stack cuff to be successful without something happening. But I do have a couple, um, probably two or three. In fact, one of them was by accident, and one was where I got Miller as a fourth running back, and I took uh, Foreman as a fifth. And I had, you know, three good ones, and then I took Miller and Foreman. Um, I think that's a stack cuff that is at least reasonable. Where one, you know, one one that I'm really down on is I've heard people talking about taking Marlon Mack with uh, with Hines, or uh, you know, I just think that situation is way too fluid to be thinking of stack cuffing it. Um. Yeah, I I guess I I don't like the the Miller and Foreman one quite as much because I I think Foreman's still a little too expensive. Um I think he's going to get cheaper as um basically as we get we continue to get um either negative or no news on his um you know recovery. And at that point I I'd be more willing to do it, but you know, he still gets drafted a lot in the you know sort of the 11th 10th round. Um yeah, um, and that and that's just a little too early for me. I mean, it, you know, he's going around the same time as a guy like uh, Gio Bernard, who I think has probably as much upside and a much better floor. Um, so, you know, I, I don't have much Gio this year. I like um, I like Montgomery more, but now Montgomery, since the blurb on Montgomery being mixed in. You know, um, you're not finding Monty where he was uh, two weeks ago, I'm finding. Right. Uh, No, that's true. Though I I still like him uh, where he's going. I think he was one of the more undervalued guys for a while this offseason, and he's sort of just catching up to where he should be. Um, But, you know, I – 
so I, but I, I mentioned earlier, I sort of consider him and Gio in a, in a similar tier. Um, I, I just think Foreman, I, I find it hard to believe that Foreman is going to, especially now that Lamar is a little more expensive. You know, he, he used to be sort of in the seventh round. Now he's really a late fifth round pick. Um, that Foreman Which is, is why I haven't been you, getting him lately. Right, right. Um, it, it made more sense when, when like, Lamar was a seventh-round pick and Foreman was still around where he was or where he is now, you know, sort of in the tenth round. Yeah, that's when I did um, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I don't think I've taken now, Miller in, a, in, in, like, a month almost because, you know, once he got up in the fifth round, there, you know, I'm taking Lewis. There's still some wide receivers. Rodgers is there. I just haven't been taking it. You know who I've been taking in the uh, lately for running backs in that kind of next group is C.J. Anderson. Yeah, I've got. A, he's actually my highest exposure. Um, still, he was uh, by far my highest um, before he signed with uh, with the Panthers, and then he got a little more expensive. But. Um, yeah, I like him a lot. I think he's got a pretty secure role there. Um, you know, it's not the best role in the world. Like he's not going to be a bell cow because he's not going to be their, you know, third down guy. But um, I think he's he's going to get uh, quite a bit of volume. Still get him in the ninth round sometimes, more often eighth now. But um, he's uh, he's definitely kind of in that last tier of guys that I feel very comfortable with you know that I feel comfortable with their role like Marshawn um, similar situation for me like you know I'm I'm very comfortable that he's going to get a good deal of volume that he's a starting running back and he's going to stay the starting running back um, I feel that way about CJ Anderson and uh, yeah I like him a lot yeah I I, I had almost no CJ Anderson early because I, I you know he was on Denver and Booker was there and I liked D'Angelo Henderson uh, more than the average guy. Not that I've drafted a lot of them, um, but th- that that was just a situation. You know, I don't like taking guys. And there were rumors he was going to move. And you know, a lot of times these guys, when they get cut, you think, oh, they'll end up somewhere good, and then they don't. Right? That they then they right. end up just having to sign anywhere because no one signed them, like a Demarco Murray. Right, like if you were pounding Demarco Murray in the ninth, tenth round early because well he's going to sign somewhere, well he hasn't, and now you find him in the sixteenth, seventeenth round. Um, that was what I was worried about a little bit with CJ. But once he landed with the Panthers, I think he, I, you know, I don't think the crowd got on to him as much as they probably should have because I, I do think that you're going to see him and McCaffrey on the field together a, a decent amount. They, you know, they, they have and added, um, you know, D, uh, DJ Moore, is that his name, C.J. Moore? I don't know. Um, the rookie uh, yeah, out of Maryland, D.J. Moore. But, um, you know, they're, they and, and Olsen's back, but they still don't have the best wide receiving core. Um, and I think you're going to see Anderson in the backfield and McCaffrey on a wing uh, sometimes. So, I, I, you know, I don't just look at that, and that's why I think I'm getting a value on C.J. Anderson because I think he's going to be on the field more than most people do. And that's the kind of edges that we're looking for here at running back just because 
there's guys that, you know, it's really hard to find guys that you love. I mean, and that's what makes Darren Sproles to me. You know, after I started talking about him and there was a blurb on Roto World, he got up into the 15th round for like a week. And then he just kind of drifted back. And I only have 11% of him, but, I mean, he's the perfect sixth running back in my mind because he, um, you know, he's a guy who, you know, when you talk about, about those other Duke Johnson types, you know, Sproles had 10 points. Uh, like two out of the three weeks, it was right at 10 before he went down last year. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, will will get you a usable week five or six times. And and if he's healthy, he'll probably have one or two weeks where he breaks a long play. Um, You know, I I do worry a little bit about Clement, but there's just not that many great guys who you can take in the 20th round that running back. And I, I think he's just super solid for that role. Yeah, I mean, I I think um, you just when you pick him, you kind of you know you do it with the un- you just understand what you're trying to get out of him. You know, like I, I don't think he's a guy who's going to to win your league for you because because of Clement, because of Ajayi. You know, I just don't think like and because of his age and health. Um, but he's a great guy. Just like we were talking about earlier, just fill in those gaps. Um, you know, he he'll give you those usable weeks. He'll have a couple of spikes even just like without injuries to other players. And, uh, you know, I, and, and like you said, if you're talking about 20th round picks, I mean, it's hard to find, um, you know, a more, uh, more reliable running back pick in that range. Yeah. I, I have almost no Duke Johnson. I have one share of Duke Johnson. Um, you know, I just, I, I still think that that offense might not be as good as, you know, and you've got, you know, Gordon going in the third or the fourth. You've got Hyde, Chubb, and Duke all off the board by most drafts by the end of the eighth. Um, I I, I know Duke's going to have a role, but, uh, you know, I just don't see, you know, Tyrod isn't that guy who's going to check down on third and ten. He's going to chuck the ball or run with it. I, you know, I just, you know, and Landry's there now, I'm just not, I'm just not, you know, I love Duke Johnson, but I just don't know that he's worth his draft pick right now. Yeah, I was totally in agreement with you, um, uh, you know, like a month ago or two months ago. Uh, I thought he was overdrafted because they're, they've gotten more crowded in the receiving game. Um, and really, I, at this point, I am starting to draft him. He's gotten a lot cheaper. Actually, I just posted a chart on Twitter and tagged you with his um, ADP. It's come down a decent amount. It has. About two rounds, um, or maybe a round and a half. And, you know, now now I'm getting some shares. And I don't look at him like – I mean, I basically look at him as a receiver. You know, I, I think, you know, a receiver with uh, running back eligibility. And and there's certainly value to that. Um, I you know I kind see him of as one of those guys. Monty. Yeah, um, yeah, and he's he's a little more expensive, um, but I think he's getting to the point now where I like the, again the role that he can play for my roster, uh, depending on who I've got so far. You know. Um, you no, know, I I think I've noticed the drop, and I did take that yeah. one share, and I thought I had taken another one or two. Um, no, I think in the seventh round he is a, he's a, a reasonable pick. 
Um, but again, mm-hmm. my bigger con- biggest concern with him is I think Landry gets a lot. First of all, I don't think Tyrod's the type of guy to throw those types of passes as much as, you know, some of these bad Brown quarterbacks in the past. I think if Mayfield right. kicks in halfway through the year, you you know, he'd give Duke a nice little bump. I think he'll check down more. Uh, but the Landry is my big glitch with Duke. And, at, you know, now that he's down two rounds, I agree with you. He is takeable for sure. Uh, especially when you look at all the other guys that you're parsing at that point. But I just worry that Landry is going to get a lot of the same type of action that Duke gets. Yeah, um, no, I, I agree with you. There. And that actually, that's the reason I'm not really drafting Landry. Um, so, like, I'm worried they, there's, you know, Landry needs a lot of volume to thrive the way he plays. And uh, there's only so many – you know, the pie is only so big there, and it's only going to be so big. Um, and it's a yeah, it's an argument against Duke as well. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely understand your concern. Like I said, I wasn't drafting at all. You know, when he was a sixth round pick, um, or you know, I think he was going sooner fifth, than that yeah. sometimes. Um, yeah, fifth round pick. It just didn't make any sense to me. Um, and you know, and then they drafted Chubb, and he suddenly fell, and and you know he he wasn't going to be their running back really anyway. But um, you know, it sort of put him into a more logical price range for me now. Um, it's just not not a guy I like target, but a guy who you know is sometimes there at the right price. Yeah, I I love Chubb. I I, I just think he is a you know, I think he's going to be other than Barkley the best back out of this. Um, class. I felt that way before, and it was really a kick in the nuts that, you know, <laughs> that Penny went to the better situation. Um, right. But, you know, it did happen, and you got to deal with it. So I was sitting on a ton of chubs, so I haven't taken them in a month or two, but I really w- was hoping that he would drop into the 10th, 11th, and it just hasn't happened. Yeah, it, it may still happen though. I mean, he's been he's been getting cheaper ever since the draft. I mean, for good reason. But uh, is Chubb and Hyde uh, one of those situations that where you might stack cup, or is it? Do you just think one of them no. going to be the winner? And yeah, no, because it's a three. A stack cup to me is a two. Um, I did, you know, I did stack cup a couple times, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones, but that was before. The news that you know, the, you know, because I they they had been talking about Monty as a wide receiver, and right. then now they're saying he's a running back. So I'm off that cuff. Uh, I had one or two of those, but in general, the the the, the key to a stack cuff it's a two man backfield. They both catch the ball. You know, it's a two third one third split, and you're taking both of them at value, and you know because. They both can uh, they both can fill it up, and you know they both have a floor that you feel is reasonable. Like last year, Ware in the sixth or seventh, and Hunt in the tenth or eleventh. I felt both those guys could make value without an injury, and then you got the injury, and Hunt's value just soared. Uh, so no, no, no for me on the Cleveland. Um, any last thoughts, Mike, before we get out of here? Um, no, I mean, I think, 
you know, we strayed a little bit from the, uh, the you know, advanced roster construction. Well, I think uh, topic, we covered but, it. You know, it was a good conversation. Yeah. I think um, we covered it. Think... And then we got to the point where the biggest challenge to roster construction this year is running back. So we parsed those situations. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to bring it back around real quick. Just the idea that, you know, the, the difference between the basic versus advanced, you know, um, is, you know, the basic ideas are, are, are stay within these reasonable ranges that we know can work. And, and, and the advanced thing is, is really about keeping track of, of who you've picked and how much you've spent at each position and, and adjusting within those ranges. Um, and, and it makes, it makes a big difference, I think. Um, you know, again, it's all relative. I mean, big can mean like, you know, one and a half to 2% win rate or something, which, the, you know, isn't actually that big, but um, again, I, I think I mentioned this on, on past um, spots with you, you know, the, those little edges, you know, they add up um, and that's all we're trying to do. Uh, you know, you, um, you're adding that, that one to one and a half percent to another one to one and a half percent that you're getting by making some other smart decision. Um, and that's really what we're trying to do. Um, and it really pays off over a larger number of drafts. Yep. And ultimately it's players who win drafts but roster construction helps to make your picks more valuable is kind of how I see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. Well, that's going to do it. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank you, Mike, once again, if you guys, uh, we went dead. Uh, We are not live right now. I should have made it for over an hour. Sorry, Mike. Uh, But uh, I try and keep these fanball pods to an hour um, but, you know, always really great to have you on the podcast. I appreciate the partnership you've shown. And anyone who might hear this on tape, again, I couldn't recommend Mike's uh, Best Ball Command ser- uh, service more than I, I do. I mention it almost every week in every article, and anyone who knows me knows that I don't mention things. Uh, and I might do someone a favor and mention something once, but the fact that I keep mentioning it, I, I think that if you're a best ball player and you're not uh, taking advantage of Mike's service, uh, you're really missing out. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Fanball. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Ben. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.